0: Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 175. Well, just ahead, Lockheed Martin reveals some secrets about billions in classified weapons development, some tantalizing details in all their financial filings, including weapons in space, and how Netflix got its groove back with an eye-popping number of its production budget. And Planet Labs CEO Will Marshall combating climate change with satellites and making a mark in the emerging space industry. We'll have all that and more. But first, it's sponsor time.
1: The drill down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within
0: an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era. A I E R A dot com. And you listen to Drill On Podcast in so many ways, like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, oh, so many, like I said. But if you listen to Drill On Podcast and you want to make sure you don't miss the show, click the subscribe button and follow us. Catch us over and over again.
1: And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's dot com
0: to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to talk about the business stories behind some stocks on the move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster from Los Angeles. Isaac, welcome. Sunny L.A. We're having a nice, nice warm streak at the moment, which is great. Uh, same here in San Francisco. I'm looking out at the Bay Bridge and what a beautiful day. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's go crypto and look at a bank called Silvergate Capital. Silvergate Capital. They're close to where I live, I believe, right? SI well, yeah, I is mean, what it, it you know, trades under. In cyberspace,
1: it could be close to where everyone lives. It's around all of us, you're right. Uh, Silvergate is SI. SI shares have dropped 12% in a week and 60% in a year. SI has a 52-week high of $239 a share, currently trading at 54 bucks. That's a steep
0: drop. Indeed, SI, and not to be confused with my former employer, Sports Illustrated, Right. which we all call right. SI. But it is a La Jolla headquartered bank, uh, but interestingly, they were trying to provide, or they aim to provide, banking products and services to um, uh, and deposits, which include um, all kinds of deposits, including crypto. Uh, this company has uh, benefited from a, a growing business and a rapidly growing uh, revenues and profits um, by um, engaging in crypto. The problem is, now that we're in crypto winter again, uh, the crypto transactions have slowed down. Even worse the company has long been promising the development of a um, thing they call SEN, which is a, so they bought this project from um, Facebook. So Facebook after it changed its name to Meta and dropped a lot of its uh, plans to create some crypto and payment systems using Facebook messenger and using crypto. And so their pro, their programs, uh, uh, SEN SEN uh, was meant to at the time they called it DM Capital it was going to be a stable coin, a coin that was always worth a dollar and would uh, essentially adjust to the other prices of other cryptos, but would always be worth a dollar and, use, and be available to settle transactions really quickly. Facebook never finished that. Uh, 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 Silvergate Capital bought that project for $182 million and they still haven't got there. They've been working to build up their operational and, and regulatory compliance to make sure that they can actually use this thing legally and they just haven't got it done.
2: And How so long has it been?
0: That, What's that? How long has it been? How long have they been working at this? Well, they bought this in 2021. Facebook was working on it for many years before that. So the expectation was that they would finish it by the end of 2022. And in fact, they couldn't just get, they couldn't get there Uh, and announce that when they announced earnings, um, CEO Alan uh, Lane talking about uh, Sen and their troubles kind of getting it to work with Bitcoin and all the other things in the crypto ecosystem. Here's Alan Lane.
3: As we've shared in the past, the 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 power of the Sen is is really best demonstrated when there's a lot of volume and volatility in the price of Bitcoin and the other digital assets. And you know we certainly saw that in the second quarter when there was a lot of volatility with some of the leverage unwind in the ecosystem. And then to your point, as as volumes across the broader ecosystem, uh, calm down a little bit, and you know we've seen the the volatility, for instance, instance in the price of Bitcoin has has come way way down, um, and so that just provides less trading opportunities for a lot of our customers who use Descend. And um, but but you know we should also point out that um, it's really difficult to pinpoint exactly um, where the volumes come from and and you know to to look for correlations with the broader ecosystem because there are so many different drivers.
0: So again, that 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 DM group that uh, that uh, project founded by Meta, once upon a time Facebook, was meant to be the the real glue to their send platform, and they couldn't get it out in time at least in time, to make investors happy this uh, uh, quarter, uh, this year. Um, And uh, the dreams of a a seamless crypto future continue to be pushed out further and further. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, I want to look at Netflix. And I'll I'll say to our listeners, I I really do try to, I don't want to be completely obscure, but I, I do like to find things that people aren't talking about and haven't been hashed over too much. Netflix earnings are always over-dissected. I think it's, yeah. I think one of the yeah, reasons, you, I love your opinion on this actually, Isaac. I think one of the reasons is because TV producers at, at our former employers and business television, um, and other places, uh, radio and so on, they don't really understand business or technology, but Netflix, they understand cause it's a consumer product. So they always right. overemphasize consumer right. products when they do business coverage.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point, but you can't escape Netflix earnings. So what are you going to tell us about Netflix?
0: Well, so uh, well, well, I guess uh, I should mention first. You
1: should mention shares. Shares NFLX. If you don't know what Netflix trades under NFLX, and shares have jumped twenty six percent over the past few days, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you look at a twelve month chart, Netflix shares NFLX they've
0: fallen fifty seven percent. So, you know,
1: we're climbing yeah, back
0: with again concerns about subscriber growth and the cost right. of content. And right. um, I hear anecdotally from my friends in Hollywood that they oh. pulled way back Ooh. on production of Netflix shows. So Isaac, my friend in Hollywood, sure, or, you know Hollywood adjacent. Um, what I'm right uh, in the middle of it. Yeah. When you and and you you got a lot of things going on in that world. What uh, uh, what are you hearing from what Netflix is doing on the production side? Well, anecdotally,
1: Netflix is still considered. The biggest buyer in town yeah right so bigger than amazon bigger than than apple um amazon would be second apple apple would be third and so they're still considered a major player but there's been you know over the past year not just this year when we talked about subscriber growth but go back a whole 12 months there's there have been a lot of chatter around the LA sphere about, um, just internal squabbles at Netflix, staffing issues,
0: you know, um, internal changes, strategy changes, all kinds of things. So I talked to someone yesterday, um, who was in the, uh, uh transportation business in Hollywood and says mm-hmm. the Netflix people, I won't say his name cause he, he was, uh, um, it rhymes with my name. Um, but he, uh, he was telling me that <laughs> His, um, uh, that that working for Netflix has really changed, that they have become mm. so corporate and so anal. Mm. He was telling me that when you apply for a job at Netflix and, you know, these are union jobs, these are pretty typical jobs. I'm going to bring a couple of camera trucks down for this shot. They want to know the width of the tires that you're using to can be completed in a form, things that no other person or no other company uh, requires when you, when you do a shoot. But they've become so uh, corporate and so... Um, accounting based in everything that they do that are uh, bureaucratic and everything that they do, I should say that it's just become a pain to work for them, but work is work. And so I was really interested in what we'd hear about, not so much the, the bureaucratization of their work, although they kind of hinted that in their conference call, but I really was interested in the conference call between CEO Ted Sarandos and CFO Spencer Newman about what they were going to spend money with and when they were going to spend, uh, what they were going to spend money on. And when they were going to spend that money over production, because their production budget, which was jaw-dropping when it hit like $2 billion a year, is now at $17 billion annually. And it would have been bigger had it not been for COVID. Here's Ted Sarandos and, as I said, CFO Spencer Newman, starting with Sarandos.
4: COVID got a lot of content jammed up in the later parts of the year, and then at that impact rolls out and rolls out because even when people are getting back to normal work, they were all working on those projects during COVID. So it takes, it'll takes it take several years to completely unwind the COVID log jam. Uh, and historically, Q, uh, Q4 uh, tends to be a little heavier than uh, Q1 and Q2, mostly because of the um, historical legacy of the fall TV series and the fall uh, film cycles with film festivals and award cycles and all those things that are kind of unnatural to viewers watching. So we're um, trying to be more and more aggressive about smoothing that out to make sure that uh, the content is available when people re- are ready to watch it. And, and, okay. and just to add to that, it's really kind of smoothing it out across all of our content categories. So there's always something great to watch, whatever your mood or taste. And and even just um, to, to build on Ted's point, it's not just kind of the English language titles. And I'm sorry if I missed some of what he said, but even if you think of the last in this last quarter, whether it's every region, you know, Centenea in Brazil, it's the Empress in Germany, High Water in Poland, Narcos Saints in Korea, more and more of those big local titles with big local impact as well that can, that also have the ability to travel. So it's really kind of getting that cadence in every country and region around the world. And probably none was a better example of this go around than extraordinary Attorney Wu from Korea, you know, uh, 400 million hours of watching around, around the world. Uh, Just a real phenomenon that we can take a show that other folks would view as being extraordinarily Korean uh, and make it work around the world.
0: So I thought that was just fascinating. Their sort of global view of production, the notion that things slowed down because of COVID, and they're finally coming out of that. And kind of a bullish sentiment around creating new content, um, uh, bullish in terms of, you know, volumes uh, and dollars to be spent, like on that favorite truck driver of mine.
1: The thing about Netflix in LA, you know, people are still chasing that Netflix model here, but, you know, Netflix has never been, I've never heard someone say it's easy to work there, but it hasn't, you know, maybe, maybe they've gotten more bureaucratic now, but rewind one, two, three years, the story was that it's still like, it was still this startup mentality. So these legacy entertainment workforce people that would go over to Netflix from say, you know, Fox or,
0: or Disney or, or whatever, yeah.
1: Yeah, they would really struggle with the Netflix environment because it was a startup techie mentality. Where it's like, wherever where have- Well, Sarandos,
0: who yeah. of course has risen, risen from me and the guy in, front of, in charge of just the content acquisition to a CEO of the whole company, really right. talked about the corporate learnings that they have had and why they're better at it, he thinks, than anybody else. Corey, what's your next drill down?
1: Let's look at Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin trades at LMT. LMT shares have risen 17% a year and 23% since January
0: 2022. Yeah, uh, and as you mentioned, really a big change in the price uh lately, especially in the last week. Um, mm-hmm. the company came out with a a bullish um well somewhat bullish guidance for the year. They also announced a $2 billion uh, stock buyback on about $120 billion market cap. And that got Wall Street excited. But this is a big company, $64 billion in revenues, operating margins of 12%. And of course, there are more threats in the world. The war in Ukraine uh, uh, certainly has showed us uh, the appetite for all countries uh, spending in the military, uh, which is good for Lockheed Martin. But what I thought was really interesting is when they talked about the growth pillars of the company, they talked in the conference call about classified programs, programs in air, programs in space, even programs that weren't working out that they had to take big write-offs from. So I went back and read uh, uh, their quarterly reports and, and their annual report after they reported earnings uh, yesterday, um, at least yesterday, because we're recording this and releasing the show on a Wednesday. But, you know, um, whenever you're listening to the show, when their 10K is their, their most recent 10K. And, it's interesting how they talk about this huge driver in this multi-billion-dollar business that they can't talk about—that is their classified programs, including classified programs in space. I'm going to read something from their 10K, where they, it's legalese, but it's—it's it's, it's interesting to me at least. They say we have experienced performance issues. Who hasn't? No, that's wrong. Sorry, we've experienced performance issues on a classified fixed-price incentive fee contract that involves highly complex design and systems integration. In our aeronautics business segment. During the second quarter of 2021, we completed a comprehensive review, negotiation, blah, 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 and determined the cost to complete the current phase of the program would exceed the contract price. And they took a write off, a loss of $225 million. So, in whatever this aeronautics, this classified aeronautics program was, it was so bad that they'd spent over, lost over $225 million on it before they could renegotiate the contract.
5: That is a uh, rough.
0: Yeah. So from best I can tell, there's billions of dollars in classified programs here. And as I said, some of them, including programs in space. They also acquired uh, the Sikorsky business, uh, the helicopter business and the CH-53K is an important model uh, that they'll discuss in their conference call. And you'll hear in just a second, as well as the business of not just selling new planes, their F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, maybe one of the most important planes uh, in the world, certainly the most important plane to them. They've sold so many of these, thousands of these. There are thousands of them flying right now. These are now old planes, not very old, but they do need fixing, they do need repair, they are out flying. So says Jim Taislett, the CEO of Lockheed Martin.
5: So with more aircraft out flying, there's gonna be more of a, you know, overhaul, repair, uh, spare parts support, those kinds of uh, activities going on. And that's gonna continue over a number of years. So F-35 sustainment's a growth area. In MFC, the PAC-3 is uh, resurging. Uh, There's interest in, you know, the various parts of the world, the Middle East, Europe, and Asia now for PAC-3. So the capabilities of that um, air defense system are really going to be kicking into gear for the company in the next couple of years, including in 2024. Along with that, similarly, the CH-53K is going to move up the production rate significantly, and there's some additional international interest there. Uh, That aircraft uh, can uh, do lift capability that far exceeds any other that's ever been built in history, Uh, and it's, I think, going to get even more uptake as time goes on. And a fourth uh, among many of the programs of record that will grow is Fleet Ballistic Missile. Uh, The US Navy is essentially going to revamp for the second time the Trident Fleet Ballistic Missile uh, uh, system. Uh, and that's a Lockheed Martin franchise that will, will continue to grow again starting in 2024. On the classified side, uh, 2023 is, uh, is helpful, but not really the ramp that will come in 2024. So, between programs of record and classified, you're going to get the bulk of that growth. On F 35, the uh, US government's got to uh, you know, kind of determine what its budget priorities are uh, in the mac- at the macro level going forward. One of those uh, is, has been uh, nuclear deterrence. And so between you know, the bomber program, the ground-based missile uh, recapitalization, and the fleet ballistic missile that I just mentioned, there's going to be a significant amount of uh, defense budget proportionally spent on, on the nuclear uh, revitalization. But also the conventional threats have gotten uh, worse instead of better. uh, You know, as we look forward into the next two or three, four years, and that's going to be a budget issue for the U.S. government. Uh, We've recommended, uh, and I think the services would support a a steady production rate of 156 aircraft, starting you know again in the 2024 time frame, when we can get back up to that uh, based on the COVID recovery for our supply chain. Uh, and I think that's supportable, and it it takes about eighty u s. aircraft to to make that happen per year.
0: So that prediction, that prediction that there's going to be growth in two and three and four years, and the u s. government's going to spend money on lots of planes every single year, very bullish, uh, it seems to me from Lockheed Martin um, and an interesting conversation from that CEO. Right, coming up next, an interesting conversation here with us, The Planet Labs CEO. We've had Will Marshall on before when the company first put itself together with the SPAC in the public markets, a company we've looked at for a long time, when it was private. Interesting to hear what they're doing, how they're changing their business, and how they've put up hundreds of satellites over the world, creating a whole different look at the world for all kinds of businesses. Conversation with Planet Labs, right after this.
1: Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's
0: dot com to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. As promised, we are joined right now by Planet Lab CEO, Will Marshall. Uh, and glad to have you on. You're one of the rare, uh, uh companies we've talked to more than once. Uh, important disclosure, Nicola DeMassi, who is a supporter and backer of the business podcast network that helps bring us this podcast is on your board of directors. I probably should give him a call cause I haven't talked to him in quite a while, but, um, uh, uh, you, you do get to talk to him. He's a, I think he's a terrific guy. Uh, he's been a great supporter of ours and of yours. Um, Planet
2: Labs, interesting company. Will, how do you describe it in brief? well in brief um you know, some people think of planet as a satellite company because we have uh, around 200 satellites imaging the whole earth every day but really when i am asked it's we're that we're a, a data and software company uh, with all the data that's coming down from these satellites that are enabling us to help transition the global economy to a sustainable economy transition towards a, the digital transformation of the global economy and help accelerate you know various industries with data and AI and tools that enable them to become more efficient and um, helping us to maintain a peaceful and secure planet as well, frankly. Um, so, you know, we're a company that is providing a uh, fundamental infrastructure that enables not just, it's not just relevant to, but it's foundational to some of the biggest challenges facing humanity across a wide variety of markets.
0: And that's fundamentally through the interpretation of satellite information. So pictures taken of what's happening on the Earth from satellites of various uh, orbital uh, um, uh, distances. But the interpretation of those pictures, I think, is what's really your secret sauce.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, well, it start, the secret sort of starts with the satellites and you, you, you need, uh, we, we, we sort of brought down the costs of satellites about a thousandfold. that enables us to launch a lot more, right? right? And then, but now that, that enables this daily scan of the entire earth that no one had ever done before because it cost a billion dollars per satellite before planet. And that was just crazy. So <laughs> you couldn't launch hundreds of satellites, right? Mm-hmm. And so we really pioneered that capability to bring those, those costs, but keep the capability very high in miniaturizing satellites but it's all in the data and we've got this daily scan of the earth which opens up these new huge markets like in agriculture finance insurance and others Um, but many of those people don't just want pictures they want uh, a- analytical information from those. They images. want to see
0: when something has changed.
2: Yeah, for, yeah, change alerting is one thing or, you know, just um, crop yield rather than just a picture of your farm. Give me the, my crop yield over time, you know, that's interesting to the farmer or where's their blight, you know, or um, um, to the civil government, it's not just. You know that there's um, um, uh, deforestation. It's where is the deforestation. It's not just that there's illegal cannabis growing. It's where is the illegal cannabis growing, and automatically detect that over wide areas so that they can focus their permit enforcement energies. Or you know, just to give a few examples. I mean, yeah. So it's the analytical information that provides the value to the customer.
0: The business case I've used with you before. Uh, I think I had we talked with this company long ago long mm-hmm. before uh, our friend Nicola was involved. when uh, I had you on Bloomberg Television a million years ago. But uh, the, the, the example I've used before, and I'll, pardon me if I'm repeating a story for our listeners who have heard it, but there was an, when I was a hedge fund manager and I was short an oil company that claimed to be drilling a well in Papua New Guinea, far from uh, my ability to find or get to that well to see if they were really uh, not telling the truth about that one like so many other untruths they had spoken. Mm-hmm. I hired a satellite company, to fly over this well to see if they were putting more casing piping down, and indeed if there was even activity or trucks or vehicles at the well site. And despite what the company said in their press releases, I found that there were not. There was no activity going on. They yeah. weren't really drilling the well, and the press releases they were putting out suggesting a forward, or in this case, downward momentum, were baloney. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but the satellite was incredibly expensive. <laughs> it would only pass over every I want to say every like once or twice a week. And if there was cloud cover, I was screwed and didn't know what was going on. Yeah,
2: no, and, and, and it was probably clunky to do it and, and as well as expensive. And the images and, were really grainy and was difficult to right. read. So things are, but things have changed so much and that's what we've, you know, we're trying to help unlock, making it really easy to use and and doing the automatic scan. You don't need to task that image to do that same challenge today. You could just go and look because we've already imaged it today <laughs> and we already imaged it yesterday and you could, and the day before, and we've got 2000 images of that mine and you can see it change over time. So you can do this automatically. also. Just remember, that's only the tip of the iceberg of the potential of the financial applications. Just think of how I was mentioning agriculture, how we can tell crop yield and helping the farmers improve their crop yields by 20 or 40 percent. Well, imagining knowing the crop yield across all of the U.S. or all of the whole world um, and of certain different commodities like soy or wheat or what have you. And then you know, in principle, Planet knows the, that information before anyone else. In fact, that's why the USDA and others are trying to buy our data so that they can improve their crop reports. But we know that data before anyone else, and so certainly um, there's an interest in the finance sector. And I think one one final thing you bought. I would up imagine the,
0: also there would be in the in the in the uh, Kellogg's would want to know absolutely. what their yeah.
2: corn yields um, are going to be so they can adjust their pricing and their their hedging around. Exactly, there. exactly. And and it's a global market, so you want global data. And point, you can't always be to everywhere and to check that mine or to check that field. But our satellites are everywhere, and doing that already. Um, And just to one final point, I mean, you know, you you mentioned, Bloomberg, and, and I, you know, I have also mentioned this as a way of thinking about planet, the Bloomberg terminal provides data feeds um, to people to make that help them make the smarter decisions, financial decisions. But that's a little bit similar to what Planet is ultimately doing, except for Earth data, right? Our platform is enabling data streams that are bespokely set up by our customers to answer specific questions. And just like Bloomberg, it's a high margins, high growth business based on data. um, And it's high stickiness, because those data feeds goes deep into people's uh, workflows. The only difference with Bloomberg is that we're serving multiple markets, not just one. And it's based on a proprietary data set, whereas mainly Bloomberg aggregates public data sets. So I think of it as Bloomberg plus plus, but there's a limitations all analogies, but I think it's it's a pretty good one.
0: Well, you know, and like Bloomberg, neither Planet Labs nor Bloomberg pays me at all. So uh, uh, enough enough of my old employer. Uh, when I was looking through your numbers uh, to see what's going on, uh, and I always tell our listeners I don't care about stock prices, and fundamentally I don't, although yours has been cut in half since you de-SPAC'd uh, into your IPO. Uh, so I, the, I this propels me to start doing some work and looking at the company, and I see that you've actually shown uh, some astounding revenue growth in the most recent quarter. Your customer growth, has continued pace, but has been much slower, um, you know, and it's, it's really interesting to me that to see such fantastic revenue growth when the customer count isn't growing much, suggesting that your customers are getting more value out of your product.
2: Yeah, t- well, both the, the, the customer growth I- is there, but it's, um, and that shows the diversification of the business, but, but you're right that, you know, we, we can grow our customers, the customers that we currently have by orders of magnitude. And so there's huge uh, growth and we are very Proud, um, you know. To your point about our, 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 you were referring to our Q2 earnings, and yeah, I mean, we we are seeing quite some acceleration of demand across all of our vertical markets, and we so we're doing well. We're very much on track for the year, and. Um, um and in Q2, we raised uh, uh, guidance for the full year, um, uh, which is an unusual step uh, for companies these days. And, you know, I, look, you know, we're focused to your point on stock prices. We're focused on building the company for the long haul. I mean, obviously, the, t- the macroeconomics are what they are right now. And, um, you know, a lot of companies have gone down. um, But uh, but we're continuing to execute and focus on that long term growth. And I think the market is coming to understand Planet. Um, We had an investor day uh, just this week. And uh, the the, point I was emphasising was that people are often confused investors and analysts alike on is Planet a satellite company or a data company. And as I said at the beginning, we really think of ourselves as a data company. But now, and we always have because we're selling data, we're not selling satellites. But now the numbers are showing it. We improve our gross margins from 38% to 50% year on year. Like it's showing significant uptick in our um, ability to, to drive that. So, and we think we've got a straight line path to the 70 to 80% gross margin. That just shows you that we look and smell like a data company and a software company, not a s- satellite company. And so I think the numbers bear that up
0: yeah it's, it's it's interesting to see. you also talk about something called windbacks, mm-hmm. which is a great statistic. a few companies use this. but these are companies that have bailed that come crawling back, you know, I won't do your accent, but please, <laughs> sir, may I have another. Um, but uh, uh, thank you, sir, and I have another that was it was animal house, I think in any case. Um, mm-hmm.
2: uh, the windbacks. At one hundred and twenty-seven percent. Explain that statistic and what that yeah, tells us. That, well, the, you were talking about the retention, uh, uh, retention we, and retention. We give two statistics: retention, right? Uh, which is just immediately is how 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 much are people uh, renewing and expanding? Um, and then there's retention with winbacks which is that plus. Oh, that's just if it renews within the quarter it expired. Um, but if it if it slips out, we say well that's not formally renewals, but. We noticed a bunch of companies coming back a quarter later because they figured out that they can't do what they wanted to do without our data. And so they 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 come back. Um, and so we report this metric just so that people get a bit of a sense of that. And um, yeah, 127 percent. Um, and that, was, that significantly improved year-on-year year as well. And that what that shows to me is that our efforts in the fundamental aspects of our product are improving the quality of images, the APIs, and everything. And then our customer success is working very well. And so um, our, fa- our, our, our efforts in the foundations, if you like, are paying off so customers are more easily able to extract value quickly.
0: Let's talk about that MBA word of customer success which I think is is an odious MBA word. But really what you're, what customer success means for a business is, are you able to actually get your customers to learn how to use the product, know how to use the product,
2: and find new ways to use the product? Exactly, yeah. Well, that can look, be very labor-intensive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of work to build up that I mean, you know, um, we built the largest Earth observation satellite fleet in human history, and that was quite an effort. (laughs) But it turns out there's a lot of uh, work thereafter in 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 processing all the data to get it analytic ready, um, to have it set up so it's easy to use over API's and simple things like that tasking interfaces to so that it's not as clunky as the example you gave earlier and doesn't take as long uh, to get your satellite image. It's cheap, easy, um and 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 quick um so um so so we we, we've made a lot of strides in a lot of those fundamentals and that's what i think is driving our growth that you're you 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 know you you were referring to earlier we're you know we feel um that we've got um we've pretty successfully accelerated the revenue um growth rate and now in the in set to be 42% uh, this year uh, over last year at the midpoint of the guidance of our range for the for the year. Well, let, which me, is let me dig really down a little bit more.
0: Let me ask, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, because uh, there there seems to have been a real change. I mean, you were growing revenues nicely, at 25% year over year in the first quarter with a steady increase, 17, 22, 25 revenue growth increasing. But to jump from 25 to 59, what happened? What What was something? What what secret was unlocked there?
2: Well, I mean, again, uh, it's these foundational pieces, the the quality of the product and where we've applied customer success to help customers get- Was something different last quarter? No, no, no specific thing. But what we actually saw was acceleration in, in usage across the board, across our SkySat system, so the highway system, the PlanetScope system, so all across our different products and across different verticals. We saw it in defense intelligence. We saw it in civil government. We saw it in agriculture. So things are just getting easier to use. And so they're using and I would also say there's tailwinds in terms of um the 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 global situation so you know we've got a a stronger drive in companies and countries alike to 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 move to a sustainable economy and well how do you do that you you have to measure your esg targets you have to measure your emissions and they and they need satellite data as a foundation to that and again digital transformation is being sped up as well and as digital transformation sped up again you need measurement um so both of those Multi trillion dollar um, um, systemic shifts of the global economy leverage, you know, uh, our data can be leveraged to accelerate them. And so we're feeling that pull of the tailwinds as well. So it's partly our execution and effort and partly the uh, macro situation.
0: Is there anything in relation to, I don't need to call a recession or not a recession or the Fed tightening, who cares? I mean, a lot of people care. But is there anything about the, that we're, we do see a general slowdown in business activity. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that accelerating digital transformation and
2: therefore the use of your products, or is there any, is there no connection whatsoever? Um, I think in some cases it accelerates it, but I think the broader reason why our growth is robust to that is that, which I think your question is trying to get at, is that the, um, if you think of our customers, think of our civil government. Well, they still need to do disaster response, even in a recession. In fact, often they sp- right. they put, spend more. Defence and intelligence, we're seeing security issues go up around the world, so they need our data even more. Even agriculture, which is a purely commercial um, play, just think about how if you're improving crop yields by 20 or 40%, you're not going to get rid of <laughs> that in an economic situation. People still need to be fed, and this is an efficiency and pro- uh, um um, uh, in, and it increases their uh, profits for those companies. So again, it's, a, it's not something you get rid of um, because of an economic downturn. It's anything you lean in. So yeah, maybe a slight lean in because of to, to, to your question.
0: Well, fascinating company as always. And uh, um, the the growth is really starting to show up there in your top line, uh, as you mentioned, gross margins. And uh, yes, customers as well. Well, Marshall's the CEO of Planet Labs. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it.
2: Hey, no worries. Lovely to chat to you, Corey. All
0: right, coming up next on The Drill Down, The bite, one number that tells us a whole lot more about Planet Labs.
1: The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event
0: intelligence, that's Aira, dot com. And there are so many ways to enjoy The Drill Down, including with your smart speaker. Ask your smart speaker to play The Drill Down podcast Encourage enunciation, it makes it easier. But play the Drill Down Podcast and you'll hear our most recent show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on.
1: Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly
0: at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down bite the one number that tells us a whole lot about Planet Labs. Isaac, I mentioned the fifty nine percent year over year revenue growth, uh, and you would expect, you know, maybe they added somewhere nearly as many customers. I'll tell you the exact percentage increase in customers. Uh, it was a lot less than fifty nine percent. It was a shocker. They well, revenues were fifty nine percent. Yeah. Customer growth year over year was up only sixteen percent. So it really huh. shows you that the customers are adding seats, increasing yeah. usages, um, spending more money per yeah. customer. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those little metrics that when you're modeling a company, really, if you can get revenue per customer and see that number going up and to the right, it's a super positive sign because it means the service actually works and people are actually using it within these companies. Yeah. And, the, and their clients
1: are being entangled with the company more and more and more. So it's harder to say, no, let's walk away. They have to stay.
0: But just say no to drugs, kids. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, you're not buying out, You're not signing out with that. I was like, no, yeah, definitely say no to drugs, yeah. For kids. Did you see Dope Sick? <laughs> I haven't seen Dope Sick, no. Oh my God, I binge watched it recently. And? Definitely say no to that drug, that Oxycontin. <laughs> Holy oh, hell. well, yeah, yeah. But I digress.
1: Right. yes.
0: Thank you for listening to the show. We appreciate it. The Drill Down Podcast is brought to you by Isaac Webster, our executive producer, Ben Wilson, our executive or editor extraordinaire, I should say, and I'm Corey Johnson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast
2: Network.